Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a great week. We got so much from Bravo this week. They announced Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip season forecast. It's going to be shot in Marrakesh, Morocco. We've got a number of people from Ultimate Girls Trip season two returning and a few new people joining in, including Alex McCord, who I thought would never ever return to Housewives. I don't know if there's anything I'm more excited for than just seeing what I believe is a pretty quote-unquote normal regular woman who's left the Bravo world, left the United States of America, living in Australia, working I believe as a psychologist. I can't wait to see her in the mix with Brandy Glanville and Vicki Gunvalson <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think it'll be great TV. We also got the trailers for both Vanderpump Rules and Summer House this week. Vanderpump Rules looks like it's finally got its act back together. And I'm not sure if previous season trailers looked good and then the seasons were a dud or if I don't know. It's like the last three to four years, we've all kind of been watching, wondering if the magic was just completely gone. And I feel like it comes back this season. Seeing Katie and Schwartz's divorce play out, he ends up making out with Raquel, who also goes out on a date with Garcelle's son. Garcelle Beauvais makes an appearance in in the Vanderpump Rules trailer. I mean, Ariana's comment, what is it like out there? Is it a cornucopia of delicious dick? <laughs> it's just like a line for the ages. I mean, all the problems with opening Schwartz and Sandy's. I've always kind of wondered if there was ever, I don't know, a trouble in the Tom's relationships just because I feel like Tom Sandoval actually moves the two of them along and Schwartz kind of just goes along with it but doesn't play as large of a role. And it'll be interesting to watch that. And of course, James has a new girlfriend who I think is like 22 or something. I, I hope she doesn't get eaten by wolves. And then on Summer House, uh, we really see Lindsay and Danielle's falling out. And they're making it look like Danielle is jealous of Lindsay and Carl. And I don't know if that's it or if it's just a really uncomfortable situation when you have a group of three friends and then two of them start dating and get engaged. And one, the other one used to date that guy. I mean, it's an uncomfortable situation, I think, for, for anyone. And so I'm sure it is not the most fun for Danielle. But I feel bad for both of them. I mean, they've been friends for so long. I To hear that it's, you know, beyond repair is, is sad. We see Amanda's fertility issues. Um, she's talking about them. We've got some new people, Samantha, Gabby, Chris. Uh, Gabby's ex apparently cheated on her with Danielle, which is like, what? Um, 
And then Corey from Winterhouse comes back and we see a bit of Andrea as well, which is really nice. And we see a little bit on Paige and Craig, and maybe they're not on the same page in terms of timeline for engagement. But all in all, these were really well-made trailers and made me really excited for that first week of February on Miami this week. (laughs) I'm still laughing at Adriana going in and saying she's getting a BBL, but it being the non-invasive BBL, which is clearly not what Larsa got. Like Larsa got the full full on BBL, the one that is more likely to kill you, where they take out your fat from one place and like re-put it in your body and you have to go under general anesthesia. This one was just like putting a little bit of filler in her butt, which looked very painful and I I don't know. (laughs) I think she just did it so that she could keep digging at Larsa, which I find kind of funny because No one else seems to want to go up against her, and she's clearly lying. It's not possible to go from the body that she had in season one to the body she has now without some sort of medical intervention. Everybody knows that. She lies through her teeth all the time. I mean, oh, I didn't know Michael Jordan's son as a kid. You, I mean, yeah, maybe you didn't have like a close relationship with him, but you certainly knew that Michael Jordan had children and that this guy, Marcus, was one of his kids. I mean, it's creepy to me. And I just, I can't wait for someone on the show to take her to task. And I can't wait to see if it's Nicole um, or at some point someone just has to actually say something to her about Marcus Jordan because it's just all unsaid. And I don't know if she, at the time that this was filming, she wasn't seeing him or what the deal was, but I'm really ready to to see a little bit of a takedown of Larsa. Do you know who I was married to? Pippin. Like, yes, girl, we know who you were married to because you continued to keep his last name and talk about him all the fucking time. And even though you say you're done with athletes, you go ahead and date Michael Jordan's son, who also is an athlete. (sighs) This woman. (laughs) But I can't look away. I can't look away. And on Salt Lake this week, I just am still in shock that Coach Shaw and Jen, but especially Coach Shaw, had the audacity to go after Angie and her husband for this Shaw-exposed Finsta account and make them (laughs) give an apology that was just so deep. I mean, it's like Angie's husband looked like he was going to cry. And yeah, it's super weird that he made this Insta account and that he used the Shaw family name, but it's nothing compared to what Jen Shaw did and the fact that like Coach Shaw like thinks that he's owed all of these apologies and is someone who gets to like dole out forgiveness when he sees it's acceptable. I don't I hope he never gets forgiveness from these families. Honestly, I'm livid. I'm absolutely livid at how he behaves and how he acts like this holier than thou coach who's so kind and so wonderful and such a peacekeeper. And this whole time he's been I mean, not the whole time, but at least since 2018, been providing Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith with legal advice from I mean It's all around bad, and I think he should be asking for forgiveness at this point. Jen, of course, I mean, I think she did in her 
you know, statements before the court. But she hasn't really shown a lot of remorse for what she did. And I get into that more with Zach Peter, who is on the podcast this week. And it was really interesting to hear his take on it, how he's had Meredith Marks on his show, things that she has said about Jen. And it's a really interesting chat that we have. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. As always, if you like the podcast, go ahead, give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. If you have constructive criticism um, or anything else you want to share with me, you can reach out to me on Instagram at Mandy Slutsker. I really do enjoy hearing from you all, and I feel like I learned so much from everyone. A lot of you reacted to what Erica and I talked about last week with you know, how some people enter the field of social work and psychology because they have their own trauma that they're trying to heal. And sometimes it can be good and sometimes it can be self-serving where they center themselves in in everything rather than support their clients or their patients. And a lot of you had stories about that. So that was really interesting to me. I only knew because what my mom told me, but it's not something I ever really spent a lot of time thinking about. And I appreciated everyone's um, input on that and personal stories that you've witnessed family members, friends, other people um, have something sort of similar go on. So that was that was really interesting. Anyways, hope you guys like today's podcast episode. We will take a quick break and then back with Zach Peter. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. I am here today with Zach Peter, host of the podcast No Filter with Zach Peter. He also has his own YouTube channel. You probably all know him for his hot takes on Instagram and Housewives Twitter. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thank you for having me, Mandy. So (laughs) these last few weeks have been absolutely nuts with everything that's been going on with Jen Shaw, so much so that people at my work have started to ask me what's happening, (laughs) who do not watch Housewives and couldn't even name a Taylor Swift album, which tells (laughs) you how kind of out of pop culture they are. But um, wanted to kind of get your thoughts on... We'll just open the floor on like Jen Shaw as a housewife and the season. And then, of course, her being sentenced to 6.5 years. Yes. So Jen Shaw is a housewife. I think I mean, listen, she's entertaining television, right? She knows how to captivate people. She's very charismatic. Usually con artists tend to be charismatic, so I'm not surprised. Um, Salt Lake City as a whole garbage season. This was awful. I don't care about the black eye. We drug it out way too long. Jen Shaw, I mean, 
that was like the biggest pink elephant in the room and we ignored it the entire season only for us to you know only for her to pull the wool over everybody's eyes yet again and surprise jk i'm guilty i'm not innocent so to me she's a terrible (laughs) she's a terrible person um i know so many people are like oh my god but i feel bad for like her family and i'm like i do feel bad for her family yes but also like because she keeps trying to make this narrative of like, I'm not going to be with my husband. I'm not going to be with my children. And I think the government had the best clap back of like, your children are grown. Your husband makes half a million dollars a year. They're going to be fine. You did this. Everybody's old enough to understand that you broke the law and you're going to prison because that's what happens when you break the law. And if they want to visit you, they can visit you in prison or they can call you. And these are the consequences of what happens when you take advantage of vulnerable people. You know, so I don't have as much sympathy. It's I think it's terrible. I think I would feel a lot worse had her kids been like two or three, but her boys are grown, you know, and I don't like that she's leaning into that victimhood of like, I'm going to be. I'm being taken away from my family. It's like, no, you made choices that put you away from your family and you need to have some sort of accountability. And she's still not having that based off of the social media posts we've seen of her after her sentencing. So disappointing. And speaking of her family, you were the first person I saw on Twitter that had indicated there was evidence that Sharif knew what was going on. Can you talk a bit about that? Because I have not poured over any of these documents. I've always wondered just because he is a trained attorney and I don't believe he's dumb. And I was always wondering, was she ever asking him for legal advice or his opinion? Yeah. So I think a lot of people got confused when I started sharing some text messages and some emails that the government had submitted as evidence. And so the government had a 300 page packet of evidence against Jen. So when we see her in the finale being like, this was all Stuart Smith. I'm like, "Mm, no, I read the evidence and I read your text messages guiding Stuart Smith on how to lie to the FTC, which he is now openly admitted. You know, he perjured himself and lied to the FTC in his 2018 deposition that Jen Shaw was coaching him on. And so there was one text message in particular. There are only two times that coach was referenced in any of the evidence. One was in regard to moving some of their operations over to Kosovo. So they were once they realized the FTC was cracking down on them, which began about 2013. Um, I believe they started investigating it about 2012, but things didn't really start cracking down until like 2013. And so over the course of 2013 to 2021, when her and Stuart were finally arrested, they had been tweaking a lot of different things. So she was very savvy. She was keeping, you know, a very close eye on what was going on with some of the other co-defendants, some of the other co-conspirators, you know, their emails and text messages of her sending to Stuart. Oh, my God, did you see so and so got arrested? Oh, my God, I'm following this case. Let's see what happens at their deposition. Let's see what happens at their hearing. So come 2018. So the only the first time coaches referenced is when they started moving operations over to Kosovo. And she says, I haven't been able to chat with coach yet. Um, but I did talk to this guy. He has a facility out in Kosovo that we're able to utilize. And so it seemed like, you know, they were just trying to move things offshore. They're trying to move things overseas uh, that way. And she even says in one of the text messages, once we move things over to Kosovo, then we'll be able to keep this operation going for a really long time. So 
Fast forward to 2018, Stewart's now being deposed, and he has to come in for questioning with the FTC for his involvement with some of these other co-conspirators. And there are text messages from Jen to Stewart saying, here's a list of questions. This is what they're going to ask you about. Let's practice these. Let's make sure we know what to answer. That way we don't you don't incriminate yourself or incriminate me. And if there are any questions that you're confused about, coach will help us, you know, determine how to answer those questions. So that's the second time that he's referenced. And so I've made it very clear that I'm not trying to indicate or implicate him in anything criminally, but the these text messages at least make it seem like he was somewhat aware of what was going on and he wasn't entirely blindsided if there was some sort of coaching legally in terms of how to answer questions to not incriminate yourself. Exactly. I mean, but if he, anytime someone moves operations overseas, it is a red flag. And if he knew that she had- was, you know, happening starting all the way back in 2013, and he's seen how much money is coming in, how much money she's spending on things, you, you can't claim that you didn't know. Even if he, she didn't, right. know, you know, he didn't know all the details of the conspiracy or the fraud. He knew something shady was happening. Right. And they didn't need to do this. And the government was very clear in their argument. Like Jen was not hurting for money to where she had to put food on the table for her kids. Her husband makes half a million dollars a year. They're okay. She was doing this out of pure sheer greed. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's so tough to see just like the people who are hurt by this and to hear their stories. And I'm wondering what do you think, or if you know, what the response was from Meredith in particular, as someone who was very like critical of Jen for many years, you know, like at least a full year, and then all of a sudden is there in New York to support her for her trial and does say in this week's episode that if she's found guilty, that would be very difficult for Meredith. Do you know how she's reacted? Um, yes. Yeah, so I actually chatted with her on my podcast. I want to say like a week or two after Jen changed her plea from in a, from not guilty to guilty. And I asked her, I'm like, what's your reaction to this? And she just said, I'm really surprised that I haven't had a chance to chat with Jen because I've been out of the country. But, you know, she was expecting to have some very difficult conversations with Jen. Obviously, we see Heather Gay and, and Lisa Barlow at the end of the finale talking about all of it. And, and Heather seemed to be very, you know, fired up and very not anti-gen, but her tune definitely started to change because she had now realized she had been deceived by her friend. I'm a little on the fence about Heather because we also have the uh, season two Watch What Happens Live appearance that she gave where she talks about how she knew that Jen's business was unsavory and how it was, you know, not something that she would ever personally want to be a part of. But, you know, she didn't know that it was necessarily illegal and that Jen could go to prison for it. So that also tells me that Heather was somewhat a little more aware than what she's leading on, which also makes me question Coach a bit more because I'm like, if Heather knew what was up, if she knew that it was unsavory and she knew that it was something she would not want to participate in, that tells me maybe Coach also had some level of awareness. And maybe, like, I mean, maybe... Maybe her family, like, I don't want to implicate her family, but it's like, you know, uh, I mean, I want to believe that watching her mom, her mom really did believe that she was innocent and she was going to fight this. Oh, and that's why the mom's like, I'll completely. put I'll put a loan up on my house. Here's a million dollars for my savings, like, which is also awful because not only does she con other elderly people, but then she conned her own damn mother. But 
Meredith, I don't, I'm very confused by it. You know, I really like Meredith. Um, I had a great conversation with her when she was on my podcast, but I have not really seen her speak out about anything. Um, and listen, the evidence is, is very clear. She was complicit. She has not, you know, I know in the finale, Meredith is like, if she doesn't take any accountability for what she's done, that's going to be a big problem for me. And I'm like, well, I haven't seen her take any accountability. She's nope. only taken accountability when it's benefited her. And that's been before the judge where she's apologized for that. But she's issued statements publicly. She did a YouTube live stream interview a couple weeks ago where she talked about Salt Lake City and she trashed all the other women. Um, so she's we saw her partying it up at BravoCon. So she's been public and she's been out there, maybe not as much as she's used to, but she has issued public statements and all of the statements that have been issued publicly are I'm taking care of my family. My family is my biggest priority right now, but there's no accountability from her and there is no taking ownership. Yeah. I wonder. So do you know whether or not she's sitting down with Andy Cohen to do? I believe like a that's happening. I believe that is happening. Um, I know she posted on her Instagram story that she was doing a dress rehearsal and she posted herself in glam and she's like, see you soon. And Andy expressed on his radio show that he was planning to sit down with her this weekend. So I'm assuming that we're going to get it at the second part of the reunion. I'm hearing that the reunion is only two parts. So we'll see what we get from it. Um, but from what we've seen, it doesn't sound like she's taking any sort of accountability. And I wouldn't be surprised if she continues to still try to throw this back onto Stuart Smith and continues to lie the way she's consistently lied for the past, what, two years now? Almost two years? Yeah. That'll be interesting to see how that impacts her, like how long she serves of her sentence, right? Because you can sometimes get out early. I know federal prison's like a little bit different, but I don't see her getting out early at all. I see her like (laughs) just, yeah. I did see the terms of her, um, the terms of her sentence. And from what I, I briefly glossed it over, but from what I did see, so I spoke with, um, um, this gentleman named Justin Paperni, and he has a business where he consults people that are going to prison. He's like, this is what you do. This is the behavior you need to exhibit before sentencing. Here's what you need to say to the judge. Like, he tries to help you, one, not just rehab your image, but also learn how to take accountability for your actions and get the least amount of prison time that you can possibly get. She did not follow any of the recommendations that he shared on my show. Um, If anything, she was just consistently doing the opposite of that. But I know, so she's currently sentenced to six and a half years. And she also has a 6.6 million restitution bill followed by five years of supervised release after she gets out of prison. I believe the least amount of time that she's going to have to serve is about 80 to 85%. So at minimum, she might end up serving about five years because I do know with good behavior, you are able to get some time taken off. It's highly unlikely that Jen Shaw is going to exhibit enough good behavior to get too much time taken off based off of her history. And then there are other programs that she can participate in, such as like a, an alcohol substance abuse program that can take about a year off of her sentence as well. From what I saw in her sentencing guidelines, it does look like she's leaning into that and wants to to participate in a substance abuse program, which is probably going to be one of the tactics to help her get a reduced sentence. But she's probably still going to end up serving about five years, if not the full six and a half. Wow. 
Now, one thing I've been talking about on my podcast a lot is the difference between Jen Shaw's case and the other cases that we have seen before court um, in terms of Bravo liberties. Definitely Teresa, but also Erica Jane, which is a civil case, and there actually haven't been any criminal charges filed. Why do you think the audience seems to be more angry at Erica Girardi, at least in my opinion, in terms of the amount of memes and outrage and engagement online and going after her about the victims of the Girardi scheme versus the victims of Jen Shaw's scheme? I think we just have a deeper emotional investment in Erica because we've seen her on our television a lot longer, whereas Salt Lake City is a newer franchise and we're only, what, into the third season? So, you know, we most people didn't subscribe to Salt Lake City, but they've heard of Beverly Hills. They've heard of New York. They've heard of Atlanta. So and Erica has been on for, what, six, seven seasons at this point. So I think we just have known and followed Erica and we've seen, you know, her she's had, you know, a lot of money and she's flashed the money. She's had her songs. It's expensive to be me. So I think at what at one point she had an aspirational lifestyle and then that all kind of came crashing down. Um, and I think one people love to see the demise of somebody that's wealthy and successful. But, you know, I think people also like to see a comeback. And I feel like there may be an opportunity for Erica to kind of rehab that image because people love to hate on Erica, but they also like seem to negate the moments that she's had that have been, you know, remorseful. Right. She's done a number of interviews now where she has said the people that were done wrong by these men at Girardi Keys, I hope that they're made whole one day. And she has said that on more than one occasion at BravoCon. She's like, listen, I know my behavior in Aspen wasn't great. I'm going to have my moments. It was late at night. I was drunk. There was no excuse and it was wrong. But I'm going to have my moments because I'm living this out in real time in front of you guys and I'm going to slip up. And she even kind of said that as well, or she echoed that sentiment when she apologized to Kyle the next night in Aspen. So I think people just seem to be a lot more fixated on Erica because we know her a lot more and we have been, and Beverly Hills's ratings are just a lot higher. And I think there's been greater coverage of the Girardi scandal in comparison to the Shaw scandal. Because he himself was a celebrity, which is part of the difference. People didn't really yeah. know Jen Shaw prior to the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Nor did they care about her even when she was on the show. Like, right. she was just the loud, you know, rambunctious one on Salt Lake City. Yeah. Well, going into this finale, have have we ever had one where we got kind of the cards in terms of what people were doing post-show in the middle of a finale. I mean, that was such an unusual thing to see, to see like, this is what's going on with Meredith. This is what's going on with Lisa. They all still hate each other. Okay, wrap that up, tighten a bow, and let's go on to the Southern District of New York. <laughs> it was a very interesting finale, and I feel like we gave Jen Shaw a very solid sympathy vote, which... Had she not been sentenced at this point, I would understand, okay, let's see her talking to her mom and let's see her having these moments with Meredith and Heather by her side. Even the the finale party with Heather's half-baked choir, like even that was a bit of, you know, we didn't see, we got Jen talking about, you know, wanting to commit suicide and her mental health again. So I feel like we got Angie Harrington apologizing to Jen. All of these things that just didn't feel very necessary for the party, whereas... 
to me, I'm like, why are we giving her so many endearing moments where people can maybe find her likable? If we're showing Angie Harrington and her husband apologize to Jen Shaw, then we're saying that they were wrong to create a Finsta account, which to me is just so innocuous in comparison to taking advantage of vulnerable people that are elderly (laughs) (laughs) and milking them out of their money. So I'm, I was very surprised by the edit that we got of Jen in this finale, because it did make her look very good until the very end where we find out she changes her plea. But like, we could have edited around all of that and just kind of edited and focused on the other women and maybe some of their reactions. Cause from what we saw in the trailer, we saw Dana come at Jen Shaw and say, you know, you better watch yourself if you want some money on your books. And then we also, saw Meredith versus Whitney where Meredith tells Whitney you know I feel like I was manipulated and Whitney's like by who by me and she's like yeah and we none of those made it into the actual finale but we got that in the original trailer so it was an interesting edit it wasn't a great finale the the closing cards in the middle were also weird um and just to me the whole time I'm watching I'm like at what point did she know she was going to plead guilty like, at what point was, she, was it when she was talking to her mom on the steps? Was it when she was talking to Meredith and Heather in the hotel room the night before? Like, at what point did she know, I'm not going to trial and I'm changing my plea? And why was she concealing that? Because Meredith and Heather were definitely shocked by the change in plea. I bet she made that decision at the, like, 11th hour. Like, in the middle of the night before, because they had just gotten the evidence from the government and they were pouring over that. And I bet Coach saw a piece of evidence that he's like, this this is going to sink us. And, you know, we're looking at a lot more time. And I bet her attorneys the entire time were trying to get her to take a plea. And she was refusing. Yeah. And then the last opportunity, they were working out a potential deal with the SDNY. And then when they finally presented that deal to her... She eventually took it, but I feel like she took it reluctantly. I mean, I honestly don't know. Because, I mean, they called for an emergency hearing. And you don't just call for an emergency hearing and get to meet with the judge in two hours. Like, court has a schedule. Um, I mean, it really was the 11th hour. But I'm just like, at, maybe they know. knew She's the day just, before. So when she was meeting yeah. with Heather and Meredith, she likely knew and she was going to blame yeah. it all on Stuart, yeah. even though Stewart. it's very clear that it's setting not it up. Stuart. Yeah. It's the setting opposite. It up that, yeah. She got him involved in this. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. From the evidence, that's very clear. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> I have had trouble making heads or tails of Heather versus Whitney this entire season. It is confusing to me. I don't really know where we went left. Um, and I'd love to get your take on sort of where you land with this and where you think they may be headed or also do you see a future for salt lake city i didn't i mean there's no future for salt lake city with me i do know that they're set to pick a production again next month in february okay so they're planning to move forward with the fourth season without jen shaw i believe they already have some new faces in the mix it's unclear whether those newbies will be snowflake holders or friends of but i do know there are some new faces in the mix i believe one of them i think her name is debbie she's in a polyamorous relationship so it seems like we're gonna lean more into some of the other you know stereotypical parts of of being in utah aside from like the mormon stuff but 
I mean, I don't, I'm not interested in Salt Lake City anymore. I think yeah. Heather's behavior was awful and it's consistently awful. The black eye thing, the insinuation that somebody hit her, as far as I'm aware, she hit her eye. Um, that's the story that I've heard is that she banged her eye in her bathroom that night and nobody hit her. I think it's weird and just like, you know, wild to me that she's still trying to run with this accusation that somebody hit her um i'm disappointed in meredith i really do like meredith me but i'm too. disappointed in her decision to stand by jen shaw i think the only two that i even care about are whitney and lisa barlow but i don't know if that's enough for me to really still be interested in following through with salt lake city at this point that's a fair assessment. I'm so disappointed. Meredith has always acted like she had some sort of moral superiority. And that's yeah. where she kind of hung herself because she came out saying, well, this is who I am. And this is the code that I live by. And then she's aligning herself with someone who's so, so terrible and trying to make Lisa Barlow look like the evil one who needs mental health help when Jen Shaw is like... A diagnosable yeah. psychopath? <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly at this point, the, the behavior speaks for itself. I don't understand Meredith's decision to stand by Jen, and she hasn't spoken out about it. And I really liked Meredith, and I've been incredibly disappointed by her because I'm just, even when Seth is asking them, and he's like, have you guys asked her if she's innocent or guilty? And she's like, well, I don't want to know, because if I find out, then I'm probably going to have to be questioned. I'm like, okay, well, you know now. And you were still, as of recently, saying that, you know, Jen Shaw deserved to have a voice at the Salt Lake City reunion. There's no show without Jen. There's no reunion without Jen. And I'm just like, where's that moral compass now? Exactly. Why are we she fully engaging it. in this now? She yeah. never Ma had yeah, it. Maybe, she just maybe acted the like compass, she did. Yep. It, she only used it when it was convenient, which is unfortunate because that's disappointing for me as somebody that really liked Meredith. Same. It's disappointing to see that there there is nothing behind that. And it's like, you know, and I feel like her reputation and Heather's reputation have gone down as a result of this. And it's like... It's, I'm not going based off of my own conjecture. I'm not going based off of my own speculation. The evidence is clear. And not only that, Jen Shaw has said these things and she's still posting glam photos. She went out to dinner in, in Midtown, a nice, fancy Italian restaurant, hosted 20 people. Unclear whether she paid for that tab or not, but she still showed up to go out the night, like, have a you know a, a humble dinner and so many people are like well she's gonna party it up before she goes to prison but i'm like but where's the tact where is the remorse she told the judge i feel bad where is she feeling bad because i don't see it in her behavior i don't see it either and meredith okay. and heather don't seem to be holding her accountable for that well no one's ever held her accountable i don't think her parents have ever held her accountable i don't think coach has ever held her accountable I don't think anyone in her life has ever held her accountable. So she thinks she can get away with everything because she's manipulated everyone in her life until this point. But you can't manipulate the Southern District of New York. You just can't. Federal prosecutors are a different breed. <laughs> they, they don't just yeah. bring charges. You know, I have a friend who's a federal prosecutor. It, they kind of err on the side of like, well, we're not going to bring charges unless we know we can win, unless the evidence yeah. is so overwhelming because we want to keep our conviction rate high. And there are so many crimes to choose from from prosecuting that, you know, so when they went after this fraud scheme, it's because it was that bad and they're trying to crack down on 
other schemes that are similar that are happening. And it does scare the shit out of people who are doing it because they're finding these fraudsters and they're going after the people at the top who are making the money, not the people making the calls, not the people who are just like slightly benefiting. It's they're going after people at the top. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And Jen Um, Shaw was at the very top of this one. Yeah. Tier A. I mean, it was like one, two, three, and then A. (laughs) They came up with a new tier. Yeah. I had my friend um, who's a federal prosecutor, like look through some of the stuff back when she was first uh, arrested and then when more, some of the evidence came in, and she's like, I don't know who this woman is, but she's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> this was exactly <laughs> word for word what she had said. Well, enough with Salt Lake. I feel like I'm just continuously disappointed by it. Um, on to my neck of the woods. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and I love The Real Housewives of Potomac. I find it so, so entertaining and absolutely hilarious. And I love the women on the show. I find them really enjoyable. Um, Okay. (laughs) Oh, and one quick thing. They keep showing B-roll that's clearly from March. And they're filming in like May, June at this point. They keep showing the cherry blossoms. The cherry blossoms last like 10 Uh, days, if that. And then it's over. (laughs) Oh, my God. It just makes me laugh because the cherry blossoms bloomed last year when it was like 40 degrees. So when you wanted to go out and see them, you had to like huddle, like get your big jackets and coats and everything. And then they're like making it seem like it's this like sunny tropical. (laughs) It just makes me laugh. It's so funny. So they had to south of Cancun, the Maya Riviera to celebrate Ashley's birthday. And it seems like much of the drama happened on the flight down between Mia and Jacqueline. Now, I don't think we've seen a friendship like Mia and Jacqueline on Housewives before, but maybe you see some other similarities with other people. What do you make of how you think they were before the show and how you think maybe the show potentially affected their relationship? I think that they were really close before the show. I mean, it's part of the reason, like, why you don't like Kim and Kyle, you don't bring your sister or Kyle and Kathy. You don't bring your sister on the show because, you know, stuff comes out and uh, wounds get opened. And so I think that's similar to what we're seeing with Mia and Jacqueline. I think they have a sisterly bond because now we know that Jacqueline's family took Mia in when she needed somebody. So they do have that, you know, sisterhood sort of thread that ties them together but there's also that recklessness of like, well, we're technically not blood, so I could cut you out. I mean, people cut off their own blood all the time. But like in this case, there really is no blood tying them together. So I just feel like there's definitely a deeper issue. I don't believe it's about the child care. There's something deeper that they're not willing to address that we're not talking about. And I want to know what the real issue is because it's it's more than just I don't know where my kids are and that's not my responsibility. Oh, completely. I think it might be show related because Jacqueline's sister, the nanny, has apparently been going on YouTube and other places to share that Mia was just saying crazy things and Jacqueline wasn't sure how to react because Mia brought her into the show and into the space. And then when she would kind of say things that either weren't true, like Jacqueline would just go along with it because... She wanted to help her friend make good TV. 
And then it just like she took it a step too far by like saying something that only Jacqueline knew was insinuated. So when she said, close your legs to married men, I have no idea why that comment hurt Jacqueline so much and why she immediately said, I would never sleep with your husband. Yeah, I think <laughs> listen, I think Mia is very much the type that likes to get a reaction out of people and she likes to throw things out without thinking of how it's going to like what the how it's going to impact other people um, because she's reckless like that. I think, you know, Mia can get scrappy. I think her childhood definitely put her very much like Danielle, right? Danielle Staub on Jersey. When you back yes. her into a corner, she will do and throw anything at the wall to to protect herself. And so I think Mia has that same kind of tendency, that fight or flight, and she doesn't know how to flight. She just fights and she fully engages and she will throw anything regardless of how it'll affect the people that she loves. Because she knows at the end of the day, she'll be a survivor with those people or not, and she'll find a way to be okay. So damaging those relationships doesn't matter as much to her. That's really good insight because it does seem like she does care about certain people in her life. But then at the same time, she like is such an individual and is able to like have these very clear cut boundaries like with her mom. You know, she wants her mom's love and she wants to feel someone mother her. But that's just not the kind of relationship that she's going to have with her mom. So it's oh, it's very um, fascinating to watch someone who feels like they have nothing to lose behave. Yeah. It's because just, she really does have nothing to lose. <laughs> I mean, I think she has G to lose. If she lost G, that would be a, a big, big deal. But I feel like they decided to stick it out for the long run. Something seems quite solid with them, even though yeah. it's an unusual marriage. It just something yeah. seems solid. And so she's like, I got him. I don't need anyone else. Yeah. Um, do you ever think Robin and Juan will walk down the aisle? Oh, God. I don't even <laughs> care at this point. It's been so dragged out. I'm like, do it or don't do it. Shit or get up the pot at this point. Like, either get married or don't. But, like, I don't need your backyard wedding. Like, to me, like, either do it right or do something. I don't know. Like, to me, the whole wedding thing is just so stupid. I feel like I don't know why it's being dragged. I doubt like is it really that he doesn't want to marry her or like I just I don't get what the point is in dragging it all out for so long it reminds me of her during the pandemic season when she didn't want to get out of bed and it was like clearly yeah. depression she seems like someone who's paralyzed by making decisions and would rather just do nothing and keep things the way they are than have to decide how to move forward yeah <laughs> but one thing I like about Potomac is that it doesn't seem to be as courtroom drama heavy as a lot of the other franchises, even though, you know, Monique and, and Candace stuff kind of like involved the law a little bit. I'm worried the stuff with Juan is going to impact next season. And that is disappointing to me because I find the show so fun, focused on the women and the story that Juan is kind of wrapped up in as a coach is really dark. And I don't know if I have it in me to dive into another dark, sad story. 
it's been very fatiguing, right? Because it's also like <laughs> as much as like we we turned to housewives because it was escapism and because it was fun, and now it's just become too real and too dark. Um, that yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see if even Robin decides to stick around. She may dip out and be like, "Listen, we don't want to touch this on camera. We're just going to deal with it privately." But I also kind of feel like Robin's the type that would want to exploit it on the show just for the sake of. I think these women just get addicted to to being on the show and they get addicted to the paycheck that comes with being on the show. Yeah. I mean, and what is she going to have if they lose it all? Her podcast? Like, nobody's listening to that. Her hat business? Her hat business. Although her hat business apparently is doing really well and they're always sold out. And I feel like there is definitely a market for her hats in this area. Like people are into them, but I feel like she never takes things to scale the way she could. Yeah. But for those smart, she doesn't have that business savvy. For those who don't know, Juan um, is the head coach uh, for basketball at a university. I totally forgot the name of the university. It's like in Maryland. It's just escaping me at the moment. And apparently one of the assistant coaches was catfishing a player and forced two players or him and the player to have sex and film it. And um, it was it was just like a horrible situation. And when the player who was only like 19 at the time finally came forward, it it seemed like the university and the coaches didn't report the sexual assaults that were happening and maybe covered it up. So that's what we're talking about. There's information. If you want to find it, it's out there, but it is again, a civil suit. So not criminal, but we'll see what happens. Um, Charisse, <laughs> where do you stand uh, with uh, who's the original grand dame of Potomac in your mind? Karen Huger. Always. It's never been Charisse. Never. It she's never so, will be Sharice. She's so boring. And she always, like, her eyes are always half closed. People say Robin is sleepy. Sharice is so sleepy. Her voice could put me to sleep. There's nothing interesting about Sharice to me. How she even got cast in the beginning, uh, I don't even know. I love how Mia was like, I love Sharice and how her eyelashes are always falling halfway down her face. <laughs> yes. It's like, she don't care. That's <laughs> the best. <laughs> And it's, I mean, it's so true. To me, there's nothing interesting about Sharice. I think if Sharice has something on Karen, then just like come and do it and own it. Like, I don't, Karen's clearly threatened by Sharice in some way. And I think it's because she does have, she does know what the skeletons are in Karen's closet. But it's like, either come and give it or, or why are you here? Why are you here? I think they wanted her to be full time. And then when the season panned out and they looked at all the footage going back, they decided to make her friend of. But if she expected to be full time, why is she not doing more? I don't know. She the the reason they cast her is because of the proximity she had to a lot of well-known people. Her husband at the time, all of her friends were involved in the professional sports kind of space in the D.C. area. She's just well-connected and well-known, and they wanted to cast around her. And it was a good idea for the beginning, but she's no longer interesting, and the fans didn't connect with her. So I don't know why they're trying to make Cherise happen again. 
It didn't work the first time. She's not going to happen now. I think they really just wanted to do it to shake Karen up, but neither mm. of them is really paying or really playing ball here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And this whole like you went to my mom's funeral, but I didn't go to yours thing is real nasty. Yeah. And it's I not actually, the real. Yeah. I think that's one of the nastiest things <laughs> you could say to someone because like, I've lost my mom and I had a lot of friends come to the funeral and I had some that didn't and I don't hold it against anyone for who came or didn't come. But if you came, you should have done it to be supportive of me and never hold it over my head. And one person yeah. did. She was like, well, I was at your mom's funeral. And it's like, this we're not talking about that right now. And I think it's yeah. just a And really, what does that have to do with anything? With anything. It's like you're saying, like, I'm a good friend to you and you need to be indebted to me because I came to your mom's funeral. It's yeah. it's like in someone's like worst moment, you know, there's not one right way to address a friend's parents' death. There's many different ways. And if you're someone who's experienced it, you accept all of the love that you get in whatever form, if it's a text message, if it's someone showing up, anything like that. And it really bothered me that Therese was like using that. Just, yeah, it made me feel icky. Um, okay. Oh, also, <laughs> I wrote down that I can't get over how Jacqueline quoted Hillary Clinton and then made it into a dig. She, Hillary Clinton had a book, It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. And she's like, it takes a village to raise a family, but you wouldn't know nothing about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just dying she, at that. Again, they're just <laughs> throwing jabs at this point. These ladies are really going, going for the jugular. Because I mean, at this point, they're like, we got nothing left to lose. And from what I saw on social media, they were still like continuing to like go at each other. I mean, it's... It is why they should have made Jacqueline full time. They should have. I think it'll be a really interesting reunion. I do. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> heading to Miami. So I'm a huge fan of this resurgence, the Real Housewives of Miami. I find it light. Yes. I find it fun. Even the dark parts feel light. I don't know why. How yeah. are you kind of feeling about this season and kind of where Miami stands among the other franchises? I think Miami's at the top right now, um, at least with the shows that are currently on in comparison to Salt Lake City and Potomac. I think Miami reigns superior. I think these women, you know, really kind of put their lives on the table for us to watch. That's kind of like my, like, I, that was my issue a bit with like Salt Lake City or not Salt Lake City, but Potomac with where it's at right now. I feel like it started off like a really strong season, but like we haven't really gotten to see any of these women's lives. And I'm a little disappointed in what we've been able to see from Ashley Darby's divorce from Michael, because I feel like that's the most real thing that we could see from these women on the show right now. But I feel like Miami, they're coming to play and they come to, you know. They come to to give us a show. I, I think they're wildly compelling. They're eccentric characters in their own right. Um, they know when to bring the levity. They know when to bring the drama. They know when to let the mouse go. That like I think it's fun. And I think a big part of it is the fact that Peacock is behind it and not Bravo. Even the way that Miami oh. is shot is so different. The way that they film it, the way that everything is done just is so different from what we see on the shows on Bravo that I think it's definitely like think about Ultimate Girl Strip and how much different that's shot in comparison to Housewives. I mean, Ultimate Girl Strip season two at Dorinda's Dorinda's house 
we did not see how grand and, you know, incredible her estate was on Real Houses of New York. We saw like bits of the inside, but like the the angles that we have and the drone filming, like they just the way that they filmed that show was so different. And they they really kind of just made it feel so much more grand than what we're getting on Housewives currently, whereas I feel like that's what Housewives originally was. And I feel like we've fallen off with Housewives a bit. So I'm saying Miami is number one on my list. I love it. I mean, Potomac is always my favorite, but I'm also based here. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. (laughs) But I think Miami is amazing. And part of the reason I love it so much is the international angle and people being from many different countries. And, you know, I'm a first generation American and I just like love like immigrant stories. And I relate to them a lot. And I find that fascinating. And these women are just so interesting. And they really, really show us. I love Alexia showing what it's like to have an adult son with a disability living with her, knowing that he is going to basically be living with her for quite some time. For the rest of his life. Yeah. But she is starting to allude to like maybe one day he could live on his own and he could, you know, because that is possible. It's just about building skills to be able to live independently, you know, and or in a group home. Right. Right. And it's that's such an interesting story that we haven't seen, you know, a an adult child with disabilities. We saw him as a kid and how that impacted her. And then now seeing that as an adult, I find that to be incredibly, incredibly compelling. And, you know, (laughs) Julia, I went off on her last week about how she's making everything about herself when it's like her kids are growing up. But (sighs) I know a listener pointed out that she did have a son that died when he was like four months old. That's right. And that that trauma, like, oh, I would have had another kid in the house if not for that, I think is haunting her. And that was like a light bulb moment to me where I was like, oh, is she just playing this story up to be bigger than it is? Or is this like a real thing? And and I think it might be like a real, real thing. I completely forgot about that. I'm surprised she hasn't leaned into that a little more this season. I think it's so traumatic because when she did talk about it, she was like shaking. She had trouble getting the words out. It was, um, I think she tries to, but I, I don't even know if she's linked it in her head that the reason she wants like a bigger family and more kids might be because she lost one. I don't know if she's figured that out. And the Um, way that she lost him, right. Isn't the theory, you know, that it's been, it was like a like the baby was like was murdered, murdered by like a the shaken father, baby. Right? Yeah, or yeah. he hired by the someone, nanny. That, the yeah, nanny, the nanny yeah. that was hired. Yeah, it's horrible, Ugh, um, haunting. <laughs> all right, uh, gotta get your takes on Larsa Pippen, just as a housewife, how she's evolved since season one, and then her versus Nicole. I mean, I think she's evolved a lot physically since season one. Her (laughs) face has entirely changed. Um, Her face, her body, like everything has completely changed with the BBL. And um, I think I enjoy Larsa. I think she's very, what I like about Larsa is she's always composed, right? Even when she's coming for you and she's gunning you down, she's always very composed. She never loses that composure and she knows how to read you for filth. I love that. Um, 
which like I love Candace Dillard, right? She's great too, but she kind of loses her composure and gets caught up in the moment of the emotion. Whereas Larsa will just keep it totally cool and she'll just like set you straight. So I love that about Larsa. I love this new single Larsa. I love this like I've rebuilt my life after divorce. I like the vulnerability that we got from her from uh, not this episode, but I think the one before that with the shaman. I think Lars has been a great re-edition on Housewives. I really do love Dr. Nicole, too. I think she too. is very, um, you know, she's very good at reading the situation. She knows when to insert herself and when not to insert herself. And I just, I think she's gorgeous. She's got money. I She's got a career. Like, she's got it going on. I'm always impressed with medical professionals that are able to keep up with the filming schedule of Housewives. I have no yes. idea. Um, it's also interesting that both that we've seen were anesthesiologists. Um, yeah. But they tend to have sometimes a more like routine schedule rather than OBGYN or, you know, where you called in the middle of the night kind of a situation. Right. But I'm just so impressed that she's able to do it all. And I, I have no idea how... Um, I do I think Larsa routinely says things that at least I find kind of offensive. Not that it's bad, <laughs> right? Like yeah. people say offensive things all the time, especially on Housewives. But when she was is like going to be going after Nicole for like having been divorced from a teacher and how that's like not the same thing as being divorced from an NBA player or former NBA yeah. player. Of course, it's not the same in terms of dividing assets, but in terms of the pain of what divorce yeah, is, it you're doesn't st- It's still loss and grief. Yeah, it's still loss and grief and heartbreak. Yeah, and she's always making these little digs about people's appearances. And I'm just like, Larsa, like we could all like <laughs> pick you apart with your appearance. So please, but right. I do, I find her... Definitely very watchable. They're all just so watchable. Sure. Um, you have to get going soon. So we're going to wrap things up. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on if you're paying attention to Vanderpump Rules, Summer House, and Jersey, which are coming back next month. Of the three of those, is there one that you're most excited to watch? And what are you excited to see play out? I mean, I think I'm excited for all three. Jersey looks like it's going to be really good. We got a great trailer. I'm curious. We've been hearing about this storyline with uh, this cheating rumor of uh, revolving Melissa and this guy, Nick. So I'm curious to see how that all kind of comes to fruition. Summer House, I'm wildly compelled by the demise of the friendship between Danielle and Lindsay. And then Vanderpump Rules. I'm very fascinated by how this divorce is going to shake out with Katie and Tom. So, I mean... I don't think I'm just excited for the next season of Bravo. We get to, you know, put some of this other this other crazy legal stuff to bed for a minute and kind of just have crazy, messy, you know, drama. We see the the people single on Vanderpump Rules again. Um, so I think Jersey Summerhouse is probably at the bottom of the three. Um but I'm definitely excited for Jersey and Vanderpump for sure. Yeah, I feel like it might be a new era for Vanderpump because I felt like it was flailing for like three to four years. But watching that trailer, I was like, holy shit, (laughs) we have a season. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining, Zach. Tell everyone where they can find you and where they can listen to your podcast and watch your YouTube channel. 
Yes. So my podcast is called Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. It's available on all podcast platforms and available to watch on YouTube. You can follow me at Just Plain Zach if you're interested in me personally, or you can follow the podcast for the latest tea at No Filter with Zach. And then I have my Housewives Watching Wine, which is a Housewives-inspired wine line. Fizzy white wine, fizzy rosé, 13% alcohol by volume, less than a gram of sugar, available at nofilterwine.com. No filter wine. Okay, I got to try this. I've heard of this um, from, is it Jeff? Ep- Are you friends with Jeff Epstein? Oh, and- I, yes. I oh, love okay. <laughs> and Steven. Okay, I know them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I keep them supplied. <laughs> That's amazing. So everyone go check out his wine, his podcast and his YouTube channel. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And we Thank will you, chat Mandy. soon.